It's so good to be together with you today. You can go ahead and have your seat. If we haven't met, my name is Casey. Now, now there's something we need to recognize, and actually some of us may need to just realize um, something, it's, and it's about our commitments. Uh, it's something that should we not recognize it, and should we ignore it or forget about it, it can mislead us, and it could cause us to possibly miss out on what might be best for us. And this is something we, that every parent, like we as a parent, we want our kids to realize this. Uh, for those of you that have teenagers, you want your teenager. And for those of you who are grandparents, you want your teenagers that are your grandteens now to know this. Um, it's this right here. Our commitments influence us and they shape us. Isn't that the reality? Our commitments influence us. Your commitments influence you for the good and they shape you for the good. Also, our, influences, our influences can influence us and shape us for the bad. The commitment that you had, with to, that you made a commitment and, and, and you said, yes, I will go on that date with you. That turned into a commitment to say, I do. It shaped you and it's influenced you. That commitment to go to that school and, and to be a part of that, maybe that fraternity, that commitment you made, that either shaped you for the good, but as I have friends who've told me, it shaped them in a not so good ways and influenced them. The commitments we make shape us and influence us. The commitment to go out with those friends on that night, to, and you said, yes, I'll be there and I'll go out with you. And maybe that turned into a night that it influenced you and led to a regret that you wish you never would have had. See, our commitments influence us. They, our commitments, they shape us. The commitment to work for that company and to move, and it not only influenced you, but it impacted your family. And it shaped your family because our influences shape us and, and they, they influence us for the good or for the bad. And here's the reality behind our commitments. We become like what we are committed to. You become like the things you're committed to. You come, become like the people you are committed to. And we know this, but it's not always on the front of our mind like it should be. And, it, and, and it's not on the front of our minds when we make those commitments. It's something that makes sense, and, and we want our kids to recognize this. We want our kids to understand this, but we often forget about it or ignore it. See, commitments are powerful because they direct or they redirect our lives. And today is a special day. Today is a special day. And for those of you who are new with us, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, for everyone who's new with us, whether you're online or in the room, we have a gift for you. And if, for those of you who are in the room, uh, after the service, if you'll go to the back of the room, Miss Alicia's back there raising her hand. She'll be at the welcome table. She'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. And if you'll go back there and uh, visit her, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. For those of you online, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. They're, they are posting a link to a Connect card. And if you'll fill out that Connect card online and let us know that you're new with us. We'd love to send you a gift for being with us today. Hey, Westside, let's let everyone that's watching online and joining us online and everyone that's new in the room, let them know how grateful we are to share this moment with them. Yeah. Now, um, for those who are new in the room, I just want you to know that today is a great day to be our guest. And the reason I say this is because you're going to see something today that I believe is winsome. And you're going through, and this is all I ask of you today, just to observe. 
today is I, I hope that you observe today, and we don't expect you to join in. We just want you to observe, and this is what I hope that you do as you engage in your observation. I hope that God stirs your heart to follow Jesus. We are a church who's following Jesus, and that leads us to love Jesus, become like Jesus, and share Jesus. And we hope that God, through your observation, and that's how you're going to engage, stirs your heart to do this. And, and we don't expect you to join into what we're doing uh, because we've entered a season that we have called as a church family unshakable. And we're focusing on becoming unshakable. And this is the promise that Jesus gives his followers. He says, if you follow my teaching, and, and he says this in John chapter, I mean, not John, Mar- in Matthew chapter 7, that when we build our life on his teaching, We are building our life on the rock that is unshakable no matter what we face in life. And so we are focusing on becoming like Jesus, uh, becoming unshakable by following Jesus and his teachings. And here's the unshakable big idea that we've been talking about. And church, I'm going to ask you to join in on this. And for those of you that are new with this, this may shock you. We're going to get loud here in a second, but we're going to do it again. And we want you to join us in the next time. You ready, church family? In Christ we are unshakable. Now, if you're new with us and if you're watching online, join with us wherever you are. Hey, in Christ, we are unshakable. Now, there was a commitment card that was placed on your seat uh, when you walked in. And this is really important. This is for everyone who calls Westside Family Church your home church. Again, if you're our guest, this is not for you, but this is for all those of us who um, commit to uh, call Westside our home church. And for those of you online, they are going to be posting up a URL that has a, uh, a QR code that goes to our online commitment card. And this is for those of you that are a part of our church family, whether you're a part of our permanent online family or a part of here and you're just not with us today. This is so you can engage in this as well. For those of you that brought your commitment card, I'm so grateful that you brought your commitment card. You may have brought it. That's great. But this commitment card has been a tool to guide us to pray about what God would have us to do to commit to being unshakable. And that commitment card represents that. It represents something. It represents that our hearts are fully surrendered to Jesus, and it's a commitment to place him first in your life. Because when Jesus is first in my life and Jesus is first in your life, we are unshakable. And this is what we want for everyone. We want everyone to find their faith in Jesus, build an unshakable faith that no matter what comes their way, no matter how difficult life becomes, they will have an unshakable faith because they are in Christ. Now you can put that down. We're going to set that down for a little bit. I go ahead and get out your notes. Um, We've been looking in the book of Acts because that's what we see happening in the book of Acts is this unshakable church, this unshakable people. And the Acts, the book of Acts, Luke here describes in his second volume account of what Jesus would teach and do through the local church and the power of the Holy Spirit working in the local church. He would show you and I a church and describe a local church that was unshakable in all the difficulties they faced. They faced persecution, yet remained unshakable. They were unshakable in famine, in poverty. They were unshakable in hardship and difficulties, even in the face of death of themselves or the loved ones that professed Jesus, they remained unshakable. And in this, the church was, we, we, we've seen the, the, we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, six themes that have emerged through the book of Acts. We've been identifying, we're looking at six themes, threads that are woven all through the book of Acts that we want you to see what Luke is describing. And we looked at the first thread that that the church was on an unshakable mission, the mission to expand the kingdom 
of God. Secondly, it was an, they were an unshakable community. We saw them these habits that they formed together and they followed Jesus together and they were unshakable as a community. Third, we looked at how they were unshakable in their boldness, that the Holy Spirit gave them an unshakable boldness because they were now empowered with the Spirit of God. They were unshakable also in their surrender to Jesus as Lord. This was the primary thing that identified them. They were all surrendered to Jesus as Lord. And then last week we saw that they had an unshakable reach, that God was reaching the world through their unshakable faith. And today I want us to look at the sixth theme, this final theme um, that we're looking at in this book, in this thread. And this is about um, an unshakable generosity. And so we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to follow along with us. We're going to also go to Acts 4 here in a minute. In Acts 2, 46, we read, and we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, but this is an important verse for today as well. Every day, they continue to meet together in the temple courts. And I want you to circle those two words, temple courts. It's important. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here Luke describes the disciples, what they were doing. They were meeting in the temple courts. And where this is happening, knowing where this is happening, is very, very important. This is so important to Luke's narrative. He's wanting you to see a a struggle that's going on and and really a conflict that's going on. And in Acts chapter 3, we would read about something that we looked at in week 3, that in Acts chapter 3, Peter does this miraculous healing inside the temple courts there. And he then is arrested there. And now we see this clash arise, and it's all taking ground on the stage of the temple. See, Luke wants you to see this struggle to find out that there's a struggle to discover who is in charge of the temple, and more importantly, who or what is the true temple? The Jews, see, they saw the temple as this massive holy building built of these humongous stones that took many years to construct this temple of Herod that they were in. And it was set on this solid bedrock of a foundation with, with this large foundation of solid stones. The followers of Jesus, though, they had a different picture in mind and a different different, different definition of what the temple was. See, the followers of Jesus saw that the church was the temple. They saw the people of God, the new kingdom family of God, the church, as the temple built on the solid foundation of Jesus and his truth. See, the followers of Jesus were doing the works of the temple that the Scripture defined. See, this was in conflict, a big conflict with the works of the temple that the Jews thought was supposed to be under the authority of those in charge of the temple. The temple authorities then, at this moment, they capture Peter. They arrest Peter and John, and this is Peter's response, mind you, on this temple ground. And this is what Peter replies. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become, look at this, the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, in our American 2022 context, we don't understand the, the controversial statement this actually was to the authorities of the temple. We don't understand how controversial this was because Peter actually is standing in King Herod's temple. In, in this temple, I say King Herod's, it was, it was the temple he built to honor God, this massive thing. And he says salvation is found in no other place. And he's saying this in a place that the Jews would say salvation is found in the temple. Salvation would be in the temple because it would be there that all the, the structure and all the systems were there to make the sacrifices, to provide the sacrifices for people to be made right with God. And here Peter says, salvation is in Jesus and he is the cornerstone. He boldly proclaims that salvation is only in Jesus' name. He uses this metaphor of Jesus being a cornerstone, a beautiful picture. He, he uses the Holy Spirit, inspires him, and brings to mind what one of the Old Testament prophets would say, that, the, that, that God would lay in Zion a cornerstone. And a large cornerstone, which would be the first stone laid in any massive building, there would be a large cornerstone present in King Herod's temple. And the, the bigger the cornerstone, the bigger the foundation, the bigger the foundation, the bigger the building. And Peter refers to Jesus in this powerful metaphor as the cornerstone of the true temple. Jesus is the first priority, the first person that is laid down. He is the priority of the temple because he is the temple. Jesus would clearly define himself as the temple. In John chapter 2, he would tell the temple, standing in the same building, this, this temple of Herod, he would say, destroy this temple and in three days I will bring it back to life. And in that moment, John tells us in verse 21 that Jesus was not talking about the temple. He was talking about his body. He was identifying his body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, as, as the true temple. And, 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 and we need to recognize and realize what the first century church understood. See, Jesus is king and Lord. He is first and before all things. And why is this important? Because they recognize that Jesus is the priority. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation of the temple and, and he is the first of the temple. He is what the temple is built on. And he is that. And more so than that, the church, the body of Christ, which would be what Paul would tell is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul would instruct the church in, in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that he would say, do you not recognize that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That your body is the temple of God. You are. And, and, and in this, not, this was not a welcomed message, mind you, to this first century people who honored a building more than they honored the people. Then Luke, out of nowhere, describes something. So in this massive conflict of what is the true temple, he describes this radical generosity in chapter 4. 
And he, this radical generosity of the church. And we read in verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Look at this, the Lord Jesus, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And because of that, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Just pause for me a second. What gave, what, what was behind this generosity was so important. They gave from a place of grace. They, what they gave from the grace they received through the, resur- the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus, through the power of the resurrection of Christ. And when you and I truly understand, when we truly understand the generosity of our God, we then will, that we are transformed by God's grace. His grace will then powerfully work not just in us, bringing us salvation, but it'll work through us, being a life-giving force, because that's what the temple is. See, a temple, the temple is God's life. It's a place where God's life-giving force comes because he's a holy God who gives life. And he gives life to all who humbly come to him. It's a grace, a generosity, radical generosity of the grace of God. And then we read that God's grace so powerfully worked in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From, From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, just he's describing that this didn't happen all the time, but it happened from time to time. Joseph, we read, a Levite from Cyprus who was, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field and he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So Luke here shows the showdown of the temple in the temple and subtly interjects this remarkable display of generosity. Why? Why did Luke show this and describe this, ending it with this? Well, he had a reason. The reason was, see, the first century church was fulfilling the responsibilities of the temple practices. Luke was describing that this new kingdom family of God was a real temple because the true duties of the temple now were being performed by the kingdom family of God. The temple we need to remember, is a representation of God's radical grace and his generosity. It would be through the temple that God's life-giving power would flow through and flow out, coming and generously restoring life to all who humbly come to him. We see these generous attributes of the temple uh, described in Deuteronomy chapters 14 through 17. And the response of the people as they would come to worship and bring their, their, their gifts to the temple. This is, this is the responsibility. And this is what comes out of the temple. This is what happens. This is the life-giving generosity of our God through this. And, and we see these and, and, and the attributes of the temple that uh, in the Hebrew writer would say that, the, that what we see in the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, which is the, what now our Old Testament, that, that they would say these are shadows of the things to come. These all point to Jesus. Uh, Paul would say in Colossians that this is, a, this is, this is a, a shadow of what would come in Jesus. And so this is what the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scripture said. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, here's a summary. They're in your notes. It says the Israelites are to bring to the temple the tithe, which is literally 10%, 
from the fields and the firstborn of the flocks. They're bringing it to the temple. And in this, and, and, and it describes this and this, this act there. In Deuteronomy 15, they were to cancel any of the debts of those indebted to them every seven years. Think about this. That's a radical display of generosity. To cancel the debts of anything that you were owed by someone else, you just cancel that. God demanded and required them to cancel those debts every seven years. Man, radical generosity. He would instruct them to be kind to the poor. He would instruct because this is the, what the people do because of the temple and the requirements of the temple. And, and in this, and in that they would free the servant. After so many years, if they had any people that, were, that, were, that, that would have to sell themselves to, because they owed a debt to somebody, and they would have to pay that time, after so many years, they were to free that person in that. Talk about a radical generosity in a culture that didn't see that. In Deuteronomy 16, they were to celebrate God by bringing to him the first fruits, the first, the first of their crop, not knowing if their crop would yield anymore. They were to bring God the first. They would bring God the first of their firstborn males of their flock, knowing that this would be the propagation of their entire, entire, entire flock or livestock. And then in Deuteronomy 17, there was a sober reminder that God is always, always, always to be king. Here, the first century church at Luke's writing, they were reflecting the generous nature of our God who was their king. Luke was revealing that the church was fulfilling the temple's duties. Therefore, the church was the true temple of God. See, the temple reveals and reflects the radical generosity of God's grace. That's who we are. That's what we do. We represent God and who he is by what we do. And here's a teaching big idea that I not only want you to understand today, but I want us to boldly commit to being. We are the temple of God who represent God's radical generosity and grace. We are the people of God. The people of God are the church, the temple of God who represents God's radical generosity and grace. We represent Jesus to our world. We represent the love, the mercy, this radical life-giving nature of God to anyone who's far from him that will humbly come to experience the life that they need so desperately. We represent the radical generosity of God who loved and gave himself for us and he gave himself to us. He didn't give what was left over. He didn't give from his extra. He didn't give but, uh, he, from just was on the top. He didn't give any of that. He gave his first. He gave his best. He gave all that he had by giving his one and only son. John would write this in a burst of excitement, I believe, as he would describe the nature of Jesus through giving new life to the people. And he would say, this is the reason why for God so loved the world that he gave 
he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. See, God gave all for you because he is a radically generous God. He is radically generous and he is radically gracious. And you and I, as the church, the family of God, the kingdom family of God, we represent the radical grace of God because we've received God's grace. This is a thread throughout all the book of Acts. The radical generosity of the church reflects the radical nature, the radical grace and generosity of our God. When we get to Acts 20, the Apostle Paul is talking to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. They all believe it's his last time to be with them. But we now know in history that he would then be released, and it wouldn't be later that he'd go back into house arrest and then be escorted into his death sentence. Before this moment, they didn't realize this. And this is what Paul says to this church in Ephesus in chapter 20, verse 32. He says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you, look at this, give you, look at the the nature of God in this, give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing, You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here Paul, he in his own way, Paul and Luke now describes that Paul was representing the radical nature of a God who generously gave life to Paul. And this is how Paul displayed this. And he modeled this for the church and encourages them to do this as well. And he, and he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Did you know those were Jesus' very words? That the Lord himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus, who claimed that his body was the temple. Jesus, who would tell us that we are the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And Paul would write this and clearly define to us. Jesus, who would show us the most radical display of God's loving nature and his generosity and his grace. Jesus, who says the church is his body, says there's a greater blessing in giving than there is receiving. It's not that receiving isn't the blessing because we've all received his grace. But he says there's a greater blessing in giving. And it's an invitation to join him in that work. See, Jesus freely gives us mercy and grace. And just as he would say in Matthew 10, 10, he would say, freely you receive, now freely you give. You join me in my work. And because the church has freely received God's grace and love so freely, that first century church became like who they were committed to. They became like Jesus because they were committed to him. So the question I want to ask us is, will we become like Jesus because we're committed to him? Because we become like who we are committed to. We have received his mercy. We have received his grace. Now, will we commit to sharing the 
in the blessing of the grace of giving. Now, how do we share in this grace? How do, how do we share in this grace of giving? How do we get to the place where we can become, uh, become the representation, the temple? How do we operate as a temple who represents God's radical generosity and his grace because we freely received it? Well, first we commit to put Jesus first in all things. Will you commit to put Jesus first in all areas of your life? Putting him first is more like making him like the center of your life, putting him as the priority to where everything flows from him. My relationships, my, 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 my family, my marriage, my, my work, my career, my, my education, my finances, everything. Jesus is the hub of it all. He's the first. He's central to it all. Will you put him at the center of your life? Will you put him as a priority? Or as Peter would say, will you make him the cornerstone of your life? Will you build your life on him? Or are you going to build your life on something else? Will you commit to build your life on him? Will he be who your life is prioritized around? See, this commitment that we're talking about today, it really is a representation. That's what's behind this commitment. It's a representation of a heart that is devoted to putting Jesus first. This is not something we do out of compulsion. We do this out of devotion. See, committing to generosity is a commitment to place Jesus first in my life and to become like him. It's a commitment to place him first and to become like him. Where our treasure is, Jesus said, your heart will be also. In other words, where your treasure goes, your heart follows. This is why Jesus would say, seek first the kingdom of God. Be committed to the kingdom of God because what you are committed to shapes who you are. We become like what we, the things we commit to. And so will we commit to place Jesus first? So we'll, we will become more like Jesus. And when we become more like Jesus, we discover what Jesus' words say, that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And we discover the nature of God. And here's the nature of God. He's generous. And so we commit. Because God is generous, so will I be. God is generous, and so am I. He's generous. And so the temple, the people of God, reflect the generous nature of our amazing, radical, generous, and gracious God. So will you please help pull out that commitment card that you received on your seat when you walked in? And a reminder to all of our guests, whether you're watching online or you're here with us in the room, this is an opportunity for you just to observe. You, you, you get to sit this one out. And I want you to watch a beautiful picture of the true representation I believe in what the church is all about. Maybe you've already uh, come with the number or maybe today you came and you were watching online. And, and again, online, you can uh, go to the URL that's uh, unshakable.faith forward slash commit. Maybe you uh, are, are writing a, a number down. Maybe you previously wrote a number down. Maybe you had your card or you, maybe you're getting ready to write a number down. Um, let me ask you as you're doing this, and this is the, the, the they're going to put this up on the screen here. It's just a question I, I want you to wrestle with. Does this number on this card represent, does the number on this card truly represent that Jesus is number one in your life? And that you are boldly trusting him with an unshakable faith? 
It's a heavy question. It's one that Cassie and I have asked several times. Does this card represent your commitment to put Jesus first in your life, your family, your children, your marriage, your career? Does this represent that he's going to be first in your finances, in in your education, and in all your relationships? See, what's this number mean to you? It's pretty much what's that mean. What's this number mean to you? It means that Jesus is first in our life. And it reflects that. And some of you came to our advanced commitment night. I'm so grateful for those of you that came out. And, and the heart of that night was leading out. And then last week, our kids actually had their uh, ki- commitment Sunday. And they, they shared some things. And it was fun to, to, to watch them participate in that. Last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, our high schoolers also had their uh, time of commitment. And they made their commitment. And we asked a few of, uh, people to share a little about what was behind the heart of their commitment. And uh, as you think about what your commitment is, we, we wanted to share uh, this video with you. doesn't have better you know I even though I think God may be leading me one way or telling me one thing it's nothing compared to what he really has in mind and I'm just excited to see what he's got down the road everyone around me, no matter what, no matter if other people think they shouldn't be loved or other people aren't willing to love them, to show what Jesus would do, to show how he treated others, loving everyone. Yeah. Having an unshakable faith means having an anti-fragile relationship with God. So that means that even when trials come, you, your relationship doesn't get worse. It doesn't even stay the same. It thrives. To me, an unshakable faith means that I have a good, strong faith in God. It means that I am putting my full effort into something, something that is um, like serving God or helping others. Unshakable faith to me is submitting yourself completely to God and allowing Him to take control of your life and lead you on His path instead of you going on your own. Because if you follow His path, He will lead you to good things. Um, To me, unshakable faith means surrendering to God and finding your confidence in Him. It means perseverance, like to keep going through, to keep believing. 
let's say um, I'm going through a tough time and I look to the Lord and I keep looking to Him for help and guidance instead of just giving up and letting go and being like, well, He didn't help me when I needed Him the most. So obviously He's not there anymore. So I feel like unshakable faith just means perseverance to keep going through tough times. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Wow, yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. Uh, we're so grateful for those, um, like those who let out ahead of us. Now it's our turn to join them. Um, whether you're here online, uh, I, th- th- we're going to have a moment that we're going to commit together, and I believe this is going to be a really special time. Cassie, will you come and join me? Um, for those of you that are on our online community, they're, they're going to throw up a, a QR code for you that you can um, use, and you can have that moment right there. And um, this represents our devotion to Jesus. And uh, we don't take this lightly. And here's a couple just instructions for this moment. Um, What we do here today, I just want you to know it matters. The bold steps of faith that are going to be represented in the numbers is is really what this is about. It's just the bold step of faith that I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to boldly trust in him. I'm going to put him first in my life. Um, and, and this is necessary because it, it's, it's, this is how we are going to achieve what God has called us to do as a local church family. You realize that the church is the only organization that God commits this responsibility to reaching people who are far from God, to displaying his radical love and generosity and discipling them in their faith. So through loving Jesus, becoming like Jesus and sharing Jesus, they too will have an unshakable faith. We're the only organization responsible for this, that he's ordained and called in to this. And as you um, drive by your homes and as you drive through your neighborhoods, as you take your kids to school or take them to a practice or go to a ball game, as you drive by that school, as you go to your work and you drive by all these homes in Leavenworth County, under those roofs are broken people experiencing the brokenness of life, God wants a people to represent him and be the temple that represents his life-giving force to broken people. This is what this is about. This is what's behind Cassie I's number, and I hope this is what's behind your number. And what we do here matters. It matters. Also, um, this commitment is just to let you know that this is your uh, two-year commitment. So you know what you would normally give to Westside in a year? Times that by two. And then any if there's God's leading you to do any expanded giving or any from stored assets to add to that, then you're going to include that. And the most important box is the big box at the bottom. That's the only thing that matters it, to, just to help us know how much God is going to be able to do through us in the next several years. And so this commitment is your total giving for one year times two plus any expanded giving. Also, for some of you, this will be the first time that you're committing to, 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 a lo- to give to a local church. And I can tell you that Cassie and I are excited for you. We can't tell you how much God has used generosity and expanded our faith because he's called us to commit to give. And our faith has grown in remarkable ways. 
because of that. And it wouldn't have come any other way. It just wouldn't have come any other way. So we're excited for those of you. Also, uh, for those of you who are our military uh, families who will be moving or PCSing soon, I want to encourage you to step in and you do this according to the time that you're going to be with us. And if you'll fill this out according to that, or if God's leading you to do uh, for an extended amount, you do this however the Holy Spirit's leading you. But this is why this is important for our military families. I want you to understand something. Because as you move to a new location, you're going to be a part of a church family there. And that church family has, is, is going to be advancing the kingdom of God there. And your generosity is going to be important to them. It's going to be important to God's kingdom work there. And this is something that God uses to display his radical generosity and his radical grace. And, and also, this just as a reminder, this is what we're choosing to give from our first. This is what this represents. We're not giving what's left over. We're not giving, we're making this a priority. We're not giving from just what's left over at the end. We're making this a first priority in our life. And the only number that I just want to remind you to fill out is what's on the bottom. And we're going to give you a moment to fill that out. Pray with your spouse. Pray that moment right there. And we're, 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 going to, um, we're just going to give you this time and space. The band's going to plat, pad and, and just to fill that out. Will you just take a moment and I'll come back and give us some instructions here in a couple seconds. Go ahead. For those joining us online, last time I want to say it, um, there's a QR code on the screen that you can use to download our commitment card. You can join us there. For those of us in the room, we're going to do something really special right now. And this is going to be something we get to do together. And um, I'm, let me give you a couple instructions. So what we're going to do is we're going to come up here. We're going to uh, do a, a, as formal of a way possible. We're going to dismiss you by rows. And we're going to have some people come down and dismiss you by sections and rows here. You're going to come up and form a line over here. And you're going to drop your card in the, the basket and in, in the other basket is a sharpie, a pen. We want you to come up and we want you to write your name on the cross. You know, we commit to a lot of things in writing. This is different. It's not like you're signing your life away. It's just to say, Jesus, we're fixing our eyes on you. We're putting our faith on the solid foundation of you. And this is a representation of that. And th this uh, cross is made up of the blocks. For those of you that came to our Advanced Vision Night, you came and you put on here how you wanted to experience God's kingdom advancing through you because it's his kingdom that is unshakable. And how did you want to receive his righteousness, his peace, and his joy? And that's what's written on the front side of this cross is, is displayed. And on the back side are names of people who were close to us but far from God that we want to see God's kingdom advance because our commitment 
is for them as well. So I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray for us. And then I'm gonna have our host release you row by row. Would you pray with me? Father, we recognize everything we are and everything we have, it comes from you, it belongs to you. Today, this moment is for you. We put you first in our life. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising his shame. And now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is who our eyes are on. He is the one who is our Lord. And Father, may this just be a reflection of you being first in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you come join us?